Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundam, Communications Director at MAPS. And today, Lance Hill, CEO of Within3, is speaking with Mike Abadessa, Executive Director of Medical Affairs at Within3, about how to eliminate the insights gaps that occur due to disparate data sets, changing stakeholders, siloed information systems, and evolving scientific narratives throughout the product development lifecycle. This episode is made possible by Within3, whose insights management platform helps life science companies identify the right people, actively engage them, and get answers that inform strategic decisions. So uh, Lance will be asking the questions today. Lance, I will let you introduce yourself and then take it away. Thanks very much. So yes, I'm Lance Hill. I'm the CEO of Within3. Very happy to be here with my colleague, Mike Abadessa, who spent uh, a long and storied career uh, within medical affairs at uh, varying companies. Um, and today we're going to be talking about insights management, which is a pretty cool topic, actually. Um, when you think about insights gathering within the context of medical affairs, it really is such a critical issue that pervades so much of what medical affairs does. And you know, it occurs to me when you think about insights gathering in other industries, it, it probably seems a lot more straightforward. If I'm developing, you know, a new version of a phone and I want to just pull a bunch of potential cell phone users into a, into a focus group anytime I want, uh, hire any consultants I want, get to them anytime I need to, it, it's pretty straightforward. Not so much, though, in, in life sciences. So, so, Mike, maybe we could start off... Um, give a little bit about who you are, but then maybe talk about why insights are so critical to life sciences generally, but medical affairs specifically. Thanks, Lance. Yeah, no, I think um, it's a great intro. I'm glad to be here. Uh, this, this is going to be fun. Um, as you know, I grew up as a, in pharma as an MSL, uh, worked through the ranks, uh, MSL director, and then finally landed in a home office position, um, looking at, really looking at data and how to use data to effectively make decisions. And and what I learned back in that day when I was in MSL is that, you know, insights were considered, you know, the information exchange during, a, during that KOL engagement. And it really was the value proposition for MSLs at that time. But as I progressed in my career across medical affairs and with other companies, you know, broadened my, my scope there, I now see this as really a more global process. Um, it's really one that follows the path of the development of the medication you know, the pipeline asset or the, even the device, if you're talking about a device company. And it, it really is, the insights really inform and validate those strategies and really build on that scientific narrative that evolves over that life cycle of the product. Um, and then I just see it really as a more global process now. And as I step back and, and look at it uh, more holistically. And so when you look at that process, really the one of the key Components of that, of course, is the external stakeholders. Uh, typically, these are KOLs, depending on where you are in, in your life cycle. Um, that can be HCPs, depending on where you are in the clinical piece. But really, those are the folks you're relying on to advise you on that scientific and medical strategy um, for your life science assets. It's really, you know, things such as molecules, drug products, et cetera, and even diagnostics, right? Um, and those help create those strategies, as I mentioned, and the story for that asset. And it can be anywhere in that life cycle. So for example, early stage preclinical, you're talking about a mechanism of action and perhaps identifying the target for a specific disease community 
or patient population, whether it's a rare disease or a chronic disease, but you have something novel and now you're starting off and need advice. So you engage those, those, those key opinion leaders. They may be bench scientists at that time and not necessarily clinicians. Um, then you go into a pre-launch prep. You start to get in the clinical data and the clinical development process. And the data from that clinical, um, those clinical tests and those clinical studies, you know, what are those implications for that unmet medical need or safety and efficacy um, competitor analysis, or even a, a go, no go decision. And when you're talking about phase two to phase three, and then finally get to launch and it, you're really setting the stage now for what's that real world evidence on insights um, as the product now is in the real world beyond clinical trials, you can validate some of that data. Maybe the data is different. The perceptions are different now with those HCPs, maybe there's educational needs. So those are the types of insights we're looking for that really inform pharma. They're crucial. Um, and then you finally get to the mature product. And, you know, it's now looking at size of teams, which, what's the competitive analysis? What are, where are you from a payer perspective? Are there, are there new data needs that you need, need to do more research? And so that, that's really where you start to expand. Now, this happens across the spectrum of functions, whether it's R&D, medical affairs, and commercial. And, but for medical affairs specifically, it's really the ad boards, the field-based activities, um, you know, the MSL interactions, things that are happening at medical congresses. And as I mentioned, those payer HUR interactions and formulary decisions. Um, and, and really, it's really through this, what we call scientific exchange, right? Everybody, I think, on the, uh, that's listening is probably familiar with scientific exchange. But just a reminder how unique that is to medical affairs, how that exchange of medical information in a very unbiased and objective manner yields important insights on how best to treat patients and how to bring those, those new major devices to the market. So I'll just pause there. That's that's kind of my 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 view. Yeah. So thanks. That's um, I guess following on that though, the technologies that are involved. So you mentioned field medical. You mentioned advisory boards. Varying ways that insights come into the enterprise, uh, into a medical affairs organization to make some of the decisions that you were mentioning. The technologies historically that are used there haven't really changed. You know, twenty years ago. It was, how can we get in the room uh, with these audiences, whether it's in a group setting or at a medical congress um, or in a one-on-one -on -one setting in a, in a physician's office? And, and maybe fast forward to today, um, it's kind of sort of the same thing. The pandemic has come and, and virtual types of engagement are um, you know, more prevalent certainly than they were five or 10 years ago. But the status quo through that entire process of who should I talk to uh, being able to understand what, you know, what to, how to engage them to gain insights and then what I do with it, you know, talk a little bit about what the status quo is, how the industry historically has done that. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great uh, topic. And it's one that's near and dear to my heart. As you know, I'm, uh, you're talking about innovation, right? You're talking about how do we innovate and, you know, we're talking about a process and, and it's, and it's, it's painstaking the way it's, has been done. Um, I think there's a lot of hope on the way it should be done. But typically, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're talking about these multiple different processes within medical affairs. So these are, this is, you know, within that, that, that function, there's sub-functions and processes on medical, on, on congresses, ad boards, interactions, one-on-one, -on -one, like you mentioned. And each one of those, that data goes typically into separate systems separate documents. Um, it's, it's pretty much siloed across even the medical affairs organization. So 
that's the difficulty and and it's and it's very manual so that it, it, it they may have a crm function uh, something that's that's documenting interactions but you're not documenting that in uh, anything from an ad board for example in that um you're not putting too much information from a medical congress and yet there's some valuable insights happening depending where where you are so that evolution has been somewhat slow there's been some incremental changes uh but most of it has been in really the you know improving the process and how they manage that but you know typically what you see is that you're using maybe a platform or a system or maybe you're using an agency um but these things don't typically talk to each other um and that's pretty much the norm um and this goes on for just about every process and and you start to multiply that by the number of thought therapeutic areas and, and disease states and products right in a larger organization it gets complicated really fast and it's really hard to decipher those insights and there's a lot of time and energy put into doing all this manual work um for a lot of these science folks maybe talk about that a little bit more michael if you could so you know insights gathering is not something where you can say every time we do this it costs us $5 and if we can do it a different way it'll cost us $4 and so that's a hard ROI and we should just shift to this other other way of doing things um there's a lot of implications to an organization on gathering insights very well or not gathering them well or gathering them in a way that that takes a long time or maybe even too long let me talk a little bit about your experiences in that regard yeah it's been uh like i mentioned earlier it's been an evolution so things are are moving but it's it's slow so when you and when you think about the the flow of data to information you think about where that data comes in from the field or an ad board or a congress that flow is 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 really slow um it's slow within the team and then it's slow to get it back to headquarters or to share that within the large organization um a typical report is is a monthly report on insights from a field-based medical team for example um and that 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 information that delay so you're talking about the cost to me are the delay and the time it takes to get that information so that that news becomes old news a month later um typically what happens is we'll augment some of these systems with email um and that's used as kind of a, as a relay system to add another and it adds another layer of data and delays even more and then when you think of the volume email some of that stuff gets lost so it's you know i talk to my my counterparts in medical affairs all the time and this is what they're challenged with is like they're using google sheets they're using different documents they may be using uh powerpoints to put things together and it's it's just not a, a crisp way to do things and then when you think about the cost of personnel time I, you know recently you mentioned ROI it was um i was just talking to a, a top 10 um pharma company a medical affairs executive and he mentioned actually that they did a time and motion study and they looked at just the reporting aspect this this monthly report and what do you think the how how many hours a month do you think it takes them to do that one report lance just just take, i'm just take a wild guess i would have no idea <laughs> okay what even hazard a guess so he he said 185 hours a month and when i did the calculation uh, being a former manager uh that equates to little over one FTE annually of just that one segment of of that process um and so that's you know that that was actually very interesting to hear because we always kind of you know look at a swag or a number try to estimate that they've actually did the study and they were looking at how to how to 
alleviate that pain. Um, and then we look at another one other aspect I think that's that's an interesting one is when, so let's just say you're selecting your top advisors for an ad board. And, you know, you don't really think about this until after the fact, and that this is where I'm coming from as far as, you know, this, this retrospective look, but if you're 50% or even just 25% off on selecting those, the, the right, who you think are the right people to be at that ad board, that has huge implications on the advice you're going to receive or don't receive and possibly result in another ad board, incorrect projections, you know, maybe a misinformed decision, et cetera. So I think, you know, they're, the ramifications are real and they're, and they're, and they're costly. Yeah, a- absolutely. I think when you, when you look at it from that point of view, even ignoring the business impact of the insight process, not delivering you the correct insights or delivering them to you in a timely enough fashion or an integrated enough fashion for you to make a decision. It sounds like the manual processing cost of dealing with this fragmented kind of way of doing it is, is, is very high. And when you think about it, I think historically, because this process was so fragmented, it's broken down into kind of sub departments almost. So there seems to be in a lot of companies, some part of the organization that's in charge with determining kind of the who, who, who's the set of folks that folks should engage with um, and, you know, under what circumstances and maybe where in the world. It, it seems like there's another set and part of the organization that is involved with actually engaging these folks, finding them, contracting them, engaging them or, or gaining access to them, whatever the case might be. Um, there is a compliance ca- component throughout all of this um, that I think slows things down or, may, or at least makes things not as streamlined as other industries that maybe aren't so compliance led. And then you just spent quite a bit of time talking about you know, the workload and trying to understand what, what quickly becomes a mountain of data and turn that into something usable. Um, when you zoom out and look at, at the process, why do you think it's typically siloed this way within organizations in terms of a headset? Yeah, that's a great, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, you, you hit on a really, you know, solid piece there. And it's, it, it goes back to what I said earlier about this zooming out and looking at, you know, insights are really embedded in this drug development process from cradle to grave of that product. If you start think at the very beginning, and I always think about that scientific narrative piece. And that's, that piece is the scientific story that you're building with that asset. And it continues to build over time as that, as that product um, evolves and, navigates the, the regulatory process. So you mentioned compliance. So all along the steps of the way, you know, I, I don't think there's any other industry more heavily regulated uh, than healthcare, maybe the airline industry, right? Every step of the way, we're always checking because we're dealing with patients, right? So it's highly regulated. And I think that also makes it somewhat restrictive in some of this and the, the way you deal with the data. It has to be confidential. It's private, of course. And so you have to put it in systems. And so depending on your favorite system or the system at that time of the life cycle, um, that tends to help create silos as well. So that's, that's another piece. And the other thing you mentioned, I think I, I was talking about it. I said global, but now think about global medical affairs. Now we talk about across the globe, right? Across different countries and different regulatory pieces. So that adds another layer of complication. But when you, you start to you look at that as a whole, it's processes, these processes have insights coming out in every aspect. 
And I think that's the crucial piece. That's why it's so important. Um, and, and those insights are paying are, are the capital that really pays the dividend on that strategic planning from the early st- early stages, preclinical to clinical, and then as I mentioned, the launch. So when I look at some of the specifics and you think about those early ad boards setting up the strategy really and identifying what that unmet medical need, how do you get that data out? It usually goes into some kind of document. It goes into uh, perhaps an agency and that in, that's input is given to those folks, maybe the medical directors within R&D or, or the medical directors with medical affairs. Now, whether or not that's all shared across the organization or gets to the MSLs at the time of you know, the pre-launch activities, it depends on the organization, it depends on, you know, how well they've thought that that process out. But th- these are all the pitfalls of trying to gather these insights from this, this really global process across this, this medication. And, and no one's really looking at it from the top down. It's, it's happening in, in, in real time across years with multiple different stakeholders. And you think about folks that might turn over within medical affairs and where did that information reside early on versus later on? And, and is there a succession plan for that data um, and how that, how that transitions from one group to another? Um, and then it finally comes down to the launch piece when you're really talking about access to these medications. So now you've got a product that you think works really well and it's, it's, there is an unmedical medical need that you've, and now the difficulty comes in is how do I, how does this drug, um, how, how do patients get access to it? How can physicians now use this drug? And so then the, the final piece of that, inf- of that journey is now getting in the hands of the prescribers in, and then ultimately the patients. So you can see there's hurdles and pain, pain points all along the way. Um, and s- the systems we have in place right now are really kind of fragmented. They, they don't, they don't, they're not cohesive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so thinking about uh, how to begin to address some of these challenges um, and why now, why, why these challenges existed, but what's changing now that is allowing really a, a new way to do things. I think some of the technology innovation that's occurred really in the last two years, maybe four, is really game-changing with regard to this insights process, allowing us to potentially do things at a speed that's been unheard of and a level of accuracy that's been unheard of. Um, and this is, and these technologies are going to be a little bit of the topics of our subsequent podcast. But maybe at a high level, you could touch on three areas of of innovation over the last, say, four years. Um, one being, you know, the difference in helping identify and know who you should be connecting to and closing that loop versus maybe the older days of of looking at who's published what on PubMed um, and yep. figuring out what you can do from there. You know, second is especially uh, with the pandemic bringing that to light, um, what virtual engagement allows. And then maybe third, as a part of the overall insight gathering strategy. And then third is uh, the ability to post-process and organize sources, different, different signals from all sorts of, of uh, insight sources into a real-time strategic view to allow people to make decisions. No, it's, that's very... Uh... That's very insightful, <laughs> no pun intended. But I think, uh, you know, when I look at this, it's, it's, it's a great point. So for me, and, and you, know, you know this about me, Lance, I, I, it's all about the process. You know, I got into the process. And so what I've seen starting off, just, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the needs and everything. Well, what I've seen, you know, through my travels with some of the highest performing teams is 
one one piece is they know the process so they understand that this is a process and they understand that there's these barriers and they have an approach um they understand scientific exchange all the all these pieces and it's not just they understand it it's all the teams are on board so they they've educated everyone they hold everybody accountable to understand the process they they've mapped out the processes so it's consistent so going back to your your point about identification of KOLs you know you know, back in the day, it was when I was an MSL, we would identify those KOLs. We'd go out there and do it, you know, feet on the street. We'd do all our sleuthing. And to your point, we'd look up in PubMed and other, other tools. We had library tools to figure out how, from publication perspective, maybe a clinical trial perspective, who the top KOLs are. Or perhaps we're handed a list from, from our R&D colleagues, from PIs, and then we'd go from there. Um, but as the pressure became more and more, and there was more and more information, number one, and, and more and more launches, right? So teams were, were, were blossoming and teams were, were emerging. Now we looked for some technology. And so we looked at KLO mapping tools. And again, a lot of that was focused on um, their publication status. And you would get a list of the top prescribers, the top um, publishers, and it would be a giant data dump. And then we'd have to sift through that to uh, understand who they might be, you know, and it was another, uh, another effort that was, you know, we had to go through. Now what we're finding is there's better ways to do that. You know, there's a lot of technology advances from a social media perspective, um, just a lot of data out there, right? When you look at Google Analytics and you look at the, the work that's been done with AI and, and, and some of these other technologies, advanced analytics. So we can start to understand not just who these are, but who are they connected to in, in a, in perhaps in a disease community, right? To see, and we can focus and laser with laser focus, look at who the, that community should be and who the folks we should interact with, whether it's at the early stage in an ad board, um, you know, phase one, phase two clinical research, and then really validate that as we go forward. So that's really new. And that's uh, relatively not that common yet. It's, it's still emerging technology. Um, the pandemic, you know, to your point about the pandemic earlier, um, that really did a couple things. One is it proved from an MSL perspective, in my point, that we could do scientific exchange virtually. There's always this question. In fact, when I was at MSL, we were told not to do anything electronically. There was a lot of compliance risk. We were concerned about it, and nobody was really pushing that envelope. Some companies were, I think, but where I was, we weren't doing that. So now here, fast forward years, and here we are for the last year and a half, um, obviously, there was a dip at the beginning, but we had no choice. So we were interacting and platforms emerged that made it much more easier to do that. Um, we hear about Zoom fatigue, but there's other other ways to do that. So you're not doing this over, you're doing this, you know, more of an overtime perspective versus, you know, constantly being on a, um, uh, a web call or a webinar. But what we found was, I think that in all the, you know, a lot of webinars on this, you'll see uh, um, coming out in the last oh gosh, the last six months, is this idea of a hybrid, enga hybrid engagements. And then we're not really going to go back to face-to-face. -to -face. And the main re rationale there is that the HCPs, the KOLs, like the fact that they don't have to be on a uh, face-to-face um, meeting with everyone every day. They can actually do this virtually. So I think that evidence is starting to generate and it gives flexibility and more of a uh, customer-centric piece. And then finally, it's really when you look at everything being... Uh, gathered to this global process, how are you going to now decipher and and really distinguish between the signals and the noise of what's a true insight? And what we've seen over the last couple of years is 
we're actually starting to call insights things that are derived versus the actual information exchange, right? So now those are actually called single point observations or data point observations or observations versus the insights are really um, an amalgamation of all that data and then filtering using advanced technologies, AI, for example, uh, machine learning to, to pull out some of those key concepts, those, those themes. So we're just starting to see that as it emerges. Um, a lot of it is in pockets. We're doing it in some areas, we're not doing it in other areas, but really I think the need is, is obvious that we need to do this on a global basis across all these different processes within medical affairs. All right, you two, uh, this is Garth back. Thank you, Lance and Mike for this. Uh, I, I, it's so interesting hearing about insights as a process, you know, and, and such a changing process, you know, to identify, you said, virtually engage, and then post-process these signals to figure out what is really an insight and what is just uh, an observation. So to learn more about how your organization can partner with Within3, visit within3.com. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.